righteousness. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word this morning.
Amen. Thank you so much, Walla Walla Valley Academy singers and Amelia for director. Thank you so much. And Patty Short, uh, Praise Ringers director. It's a pleasure to have the Walla Walla Valley Academy musical groups with us this morning. If you're joining us as part of that, maybe a parent or a grandparent, I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for making this a special Sabbath. They say confession is good for the soul. Years of living had left our beige carpet clean, but blemished. There was a spot here or there. I couldn't tell you exactly how they got there, where they come from, but I do remember the worst, the worst one. It began with a blood-curdling scream. Ah! Something like that. I thought, what happened? Has one of our kids fallen from the window? Or maybe they, well, maybe they dropped the cat to see whether it would really land on all four. Then I heard from the top of the stairs, who did this? My wife was standing at the top of the stairs pointing to the carpet. That's laundry bleach. Someone left the container on its side. This carpet is ruined forever. (laughs) Evan, Nolan, and Elise didn't say a word. Except, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Then there was silence, not another word. This was a capital offense. The kind that takes kids' bikes away until the tires rot. (laughs) I knew they wouldn't say anything because I was the one who had carelessly left the bleach on its side. And I wasn't going to say anything. I figured it'd be better to confess, well, during some sermon a little bit later on. (laughs) The truth is, of course, that we've all stained the carpet. Stained the carpet of our souls, that is. Let's pause and ask for God's blessing as we seek His Word. Lord, Speak to us now in the quietness of this beautiful sanctuary. You've promised that when we come together to worship you, you are in our midst. You live in our hearts. You dwell in this place. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, direct our hearts and our minds as we consider your word and your instruction for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have stained our carpet, the carpet of our souls. Some of the stains are small and barely noticeable. But some of them are like bleach. They bleed through. They discolor the fabric the entire fabric of our lives. 
These are the stains that we quietly regret in moments of stillness in our lives. These are the stains that we wish we could go back and do over. We wish we could relive that botched moment. We wish we could correct that mistake before we made it. We wish we could rewrite a blunder, a word, a choice before we made it. There may even be stains that we don't regret right now, but we really ought to regret, and we would regret if our hearts were working right. Have you noticed, maybe you've noticed, I'm sure you have, that life is being calibrated differently today. Confession is out. Tolerance is in. If you listen to most people, they say something like this. Jeff, Jeff, don't worry too much. If you really want to live your best life, you've got to just be you. Just do you, Jeff. But you know, when I look at the life that I'm living, I'm not so sure that the doing I'm doing is what the world needs more of. Our era is increasingly one of what I'd call the spin doctors, you know, sort of what you'd call an alternate reality. We've become experts at excusing, ignoring, denying, putting our failures under the carpet. And the bigger the sin, the bigger the spin. But really, what we need today, what we really need today, if we're going to experience the fullness of God's goodness, if we're really going to know deep down the life of abundance and joy that, that God has for us, what we really need now is, is a deep, heartfelt, emotion-engaging, life-rearranging confession. Confession. <laughs> we need some time in front of that stained carpet. We do. This is our fourth in a study that we're doing that we've called Steps to Christ, Doing Life with Jesus. And we, in this series, are outlining what you might call a framework, a pathway for doing life as disciples of Jesus. Our goal is to, in these steps, to be empowered for a God-honoring life to receive his grace, to be empowered by his strength for a God-honoring life. That's what we want to do. And today we're going to look at what the Bible says about this most important truth called confession. Confession. It's a lost art, really. When was the last time you heard a public prayer of confession? Our, our society is a is an all-accepting society. But it's, it's one thing to know that God freely forgives you. That's wonderful. That's energizing. But it's quite another to live in the reality of that truth. And that's where confession comes in. 
If we really want to live in the reality of God's forgiving grace, confession has to be a part. The truth of God's forgiveness alone does not enable us to grow in our experience of forgiveness unless we confess. Confession is the vehicle that makes God's forgiveness life-changing, life-rearranging, a reality in our lives. And this is a struggle for many of us, me included. Forgiveness is free. It's a gift from God by the mercy of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's not earned by anything we do, anything we say. We're not, we don't merit it by our goodness, or we don't earn it by the hard things we do. But there is something that forgiveness requires of us. It's part and parcel of receiving forgiveness. And that is confession. If we miss this, we're missing salvation. We really don't have it. In Proverbs 28, 13, the wise man said, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Notice those words, if they confess and turn from them. Confess. There is a condition to be saved, to being saved. You have to admit, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of God's mercy. You've got to confess those sins and you've got to turn away from those sins. That's forgiveness. That is the reality of forgiveness. Have you ever wondered about the importance of, for, of confession? I have. I'll, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have. It goes something like this in my mind. If I'm a Christian and if God has forgiven me, then why should I confess? Have you ever thought of that? If I'm a Christian and God's forgiven me, why, what, what part does confession have? Confession isn't something that God needs, okay? We don't do it because God needs it. God isn't clutching tightly to his mercy as if we have to pry it from his fingers. That's not why we confess. I need to confess because that's how I change. I need to confess. As one Bible student put it this way, confession is not something God needs to hear. We confess our sins because we need to hear them. We confess, we break down the barriers that block our soul. We let go of the toxins that poison our spirit. I think that there was supposed to be on the screen that quote, if I'm not mistaken. I'll read it again. We confess. Confession is not something God needs to hear. We confess our sins because we need to hear them. We confess. We break down the barriers that block our soul when we confess. We let go of the toxins that poison our spirit. We engage God in a cleansing process, and it is only He who can purify us. That's why we confess. Confession is also 
not like a heavenly accounting procedure as though God needs to move things from the, from the sinful side to the forgiven side. It's not like God is keeping a ledger with our sins on the debt side and, and then he needs to move them over to the confessed and pardoned and cast into the depths of the sea side. That's not why. Confession is not a mechanical procedure. It's a Christian maturity life in Christ-enhancing practice that moves us in a transformative, life-rearranging way. That's what confession does. When we confess, when I confess, well, two important things happen to me, in me. First of all, I'm, I'm liberated from guilt. I'm freed of guilt. Second, it makes me look at sin in a less attractive way. That's what confession does. All of a sudden, I'm not so likely to want to go down that road anymore. It's a good thing. So this morning, I'd like to talk with you about how we do this thing called, called confession and how we experience this power of forgiveness and transformation. And it, it helps to think of it in six parts, okay? This Six brief parts, if you like to write them down, you can. First of all, confession begins, first of all, confession begins as we allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction. That's what He came to do. It's a Spirit-orchestrated something in our life. John 16, verse 8 says, He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteous, God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. That's the Spirit's job. The Spirit's job is to convict me of sin. And apart from that, apart from Him, apart from His work and direction, confession is dangerous. If I'm left to myself, I might be harder on myself than I ought to be. Or... I might start feeling guilty about things that I don't need to feel guilty about. And sometimes the opposite is also the case. If I'm left to myself, really ugly stuff that happens in my life that I do, ugly stuff that really needs attention, I gloss over it. And I think it's not that important and I need the Holy Spirit to guide and direct me in, in that process. The story of David and Bathsheba is a good one, I think. The book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, doesn't say much of anything about what happened in King David's heart during that time. But David does write about it. He records the painful struggle that went in his heart during that, that time in Psalm number 32. He said this, when I kept silent... My bones, in other words, when I didn't repent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My bones wasted away, he said. Night and day your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's what happened to David when he didn't confess. Then notice what happens when he did. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave my guilt, the guilt of my sin. David had a, a new beautiful wife. He had a wonderful little 
healthy baby. But this psalm says there was no peace in David's heart during that time. The Lord was speaking to David. The Spirit of God was was at work in his life. (coughs) Confession always begins with the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Charles Steinmetz was an electrical genius of the early 1900s. And after he retired from General Electric, engineers were baffled by a breakdown in a very complex piece of electrical machinery. And the entire plant at GE was stalled. So Steinmetz was called to come back and see if he could pinpoint the problem. After Steinmetz examined the machinery for several minutes, he took a piece of chalk out of his pocket and made a cross on a particular machine in a certain spot. To their amazement, when the engineers disassembled this piece of machinery, it turned out to be the precise location of the breakdown. A few days later, GE received a bill from Steinmetz, $10,000. And that's a lot of money today, but it was an awful lot of money back then. It seemed exorbitant. So they returned a letter to Steinmetz and said, could you please itemize the bill? A few more days, they received a second itemized bill. This is what it said, making one cross mark, $1.00. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. You know, left to our own devising, we'll always miss the mark. But with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit's guidance, we know the mark. Like the psalmist said, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults, Psalm 19, verse 12. So confession always starts with humility as we place ourselves in God's hands under His direction, under the Spirit's direction and guidance. We ask the Spirit to examine our hearts and put the cross mark on the right spot in our lives. That's first and foremost. Confession first just allows God's Spirit to speak, to move in our lives. Secondly, confession always includes a humble recognition of my responsibility. (laughs) I'm at fault. I'm in error. I've done this. At the heart of confession is a willingness to say, yeah, I'm at fault. I did this. It doesn't justify the wrongs that we've done with alibis. You know how we can do that so easy. It doesn't just bunch them up into a a single category and just say, well, that's sin. No, it's fiercely, fiercely um, looking at it responsibly. I like the way Steps to Christ says it. True confession is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins. All confession should be definite and to the point, acknowledging the very sin of which you are guilty. That's a good one, isn't it? It may be something that I need to bring to God alone and no one else needs to hear. It may be something 
an area that I've wronged my wife or a friend or, or a church member or someone, and I need to go to them and ask them for forgiveness. But I need to be careful that as I enter into confession, it doesn't end up as an excuse. You know how we can do, I have done. I didn't mean to yell at you. I was just having a bad day. Excuse. The word confess means to agree with. When I confess, I'm agreeing with God that what I've done is something bad, something wrong, something hurtful. doesn't excuse it. It agrees with God. I own up to the fact that my behavior wasn't just the, wasn't just the result of poor parenting in my past. It wasn't just the result of the poor gene pool from which I was pulled from. It's, it's not just a chemical imbalance that's happening in my body because I've eaten too many cookies. <laughs> All those things may be part of the truth, you know. That may be part of it. But somewhere in the mix was Jeff Kinney's choice. Jeff Kinney's choice. And I need to be specific about asking for forgiveness for that. You know, <clears throat> it seems to me that if I will one time say, I lied to my boss, I said well, that I was working when I wasn't because I wanted to avoid trouble, instead of just saying 20 times, I haven't been truthful enough. If I would just say that one time, that real truthful one, maybe, maybe I'd come to terms with sin in my life. But confession only happens, it only happens, as we said in the first point, because God is at work in our life. I like the way one Bible scholar put it. Not only is it true that we love because he first loved us, but we are enabled to make confession only and especially because he has first loved us. That's true, isn't it? That's the only reason. That's the only way. God's grace is what makes a heart contrite. God's grace. And it creates in me a desire for truth, a desire for purity. God's grace Jesus says to me, even in my worst moment, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can no more repent, we can no more confess without the Spirit of God to wake us up in our condition than we can be forgiven without God. It takes God in our life to make that happen. One of the worst things about sin, however, one of the worst things is the third principle that we need to talk about it, and that is that it carries with it, sin carries with it, a certain moral distortion. Sin distorts my ability to detect its presence, and it deadens my moral perception. That's what sin does. And it makes my defects seem minuscule. It makes my sins seem insignificant. That's what sin does. And that's what we need to recognize. We, we, we need to have a new perception. As fallen human beings, self-deception comes fairly naturally, unfortunately. You know, I can too easily lie 
to avoid personal pain. And I can hardly feel aware of it when I do it. I can flatter. And in that flattery, I'm actually manipulating and not even be aware of it. When faced with a choice between right and wrong, it's easy for me to take the wrong way because it's the easy way instead of the right way because it's the hard way. I can too easily make wrong right because it's easy. I can ignore dishonesty. I can ignore injustice. I can ignore human need for long stretches of time because it's inconvenient. I can see others. I can see others. And I can see it in others. I can see these problems in other people. I can see racial injustice. I can see prejudice. I can see when people are condemning the innocent. I can see in others abuse. I can see others when they mistreat and when they marginalize people because of race or color. I can see that easy. But it's hard for me to see the darkness in my own soul. That's the challenge of sin. The psalmist knew all about this issue that sin involves denial and deception and what one scholar called it a moral myopia. Moral myopia. We need God's help to be honest and to confront our sin. As the psalmist said, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David yearned for an honest perception. He wanted to see his deficit truly, honestly. Jesus also spoke of the same need when he talked about having an honest mindset. He said in Matthew 7, 33 to 5, he said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time, There's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Straight words. When I have a log in my eye, everything is distorted. I don't see anything clearly. My ability to perceive accurately is affected. In Jesus' day, Some people, especially the super-religious, saw certain sins as particularly heinous. They saw the sins of prostitutes. They saw the sins of cheaters and thought little of their own issues. They were proud of their own spiritual superiority. It's a common problem back then. And we haven't gotten any better today. I can too easily overestimate the rightness of my ways and inflate my own moral qualities and put down others at the same time. I can do that. In order to grow spiritually, I've got to to allow Jesus working in me through His Spirit to help me have a more accurate picture of myself even though that picture may be painful, even though that picture may be hard, 
I've got to be open to the idea that the Spirit of God might want to offend me. It might want to, like a spiritual surgeon, do some work, some hard work in me in order to move me to wholeness in God. Two questions, I think, help in this, self, this work of a new perception about who I am, what I'm doing. Two questions. First of all, ask yourself this question. Easy one. Why did I do that? Okay. Why did, why did I lie to escape the consequences of my own action? Think about that. Say it plainly. Why? Officer, I didn't know I was speeding. My speedometer is not working. Why? I gossip. I gossip about someone. Why do I do that? Well, it's probably because, because I'm feeling small. Probably because I'm feeling jealous. My eyes drift to destructive places. Why? False intimacy. Why? It's critical to ask this first question. Why did I do what I did? Why? Sin is often an attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That's a challenge. That's what sin is. It's oftentimes a, an attempt to fill a need that I really have, but in a wrong sort of way, illegitimate way. If I don't fill it the right way, I'm going to look to filling it another way. Second question, what would be good to ask is, what are the consequences of my act? What are the consequences of my sin? This is crucial. Sin, I'll go so far as to say that sin is never a solo activity. I never sin alone. Someone is always affected. Sin always spills out somewhere, some way, somehow. And that's a question David should have thought about. <laughs> King David, he should have thought about that, contemplated before his foray, and he would have been spared decades of strife and rebellion. Dr. Henry Cloud says it this way. He calls that playing the movie. Play the movie. In other words, look at the long-term consequences. What's really going to happen because I did this, because of this? Play the action out all the way. See where it goes. True confession involves entering in the pain of others, seeing what I've done, and entering into the pain that I've caused God. Steps Christ calls that a repentance which is not to be repented of. I had to think about that for a long time. A repentance which is not to be repented of. In other words, it's a place I need to move myself into, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult. I've got to see the effect of my life, what my sin has done to others and to God. I've got to look at that. True confession always enters into the pain that I've caused, the hurt. And I've got to recognize that I've hurt others. I've dishonored God and I've degraded myself. God doesn't want me to beat, doesn't want me to beat myself up over it, but I can too easily take myself off the hook. <laughs> I can too easily make excuses. There's a sorrow in true confession that recognizes my wrong and moves me to make things right. 
That's what Paul calls godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. That's what he says in the second letter to the church in Corinth. This is what he said, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly, worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow, says Paul in this verse, godly sorrow is a fitting emotional response to wrong. It helps me to see sin for what it is. Sin for being deadly and destructive. And it moves me. Godly sorrow moves me to do something about it. It leads me to seek restitution and reconciliation when I've wronged others. It moves me to to change and grow. It moves me. It leads me to God's grace and mercy. And you know that. You know how that works. You know that stab of pain. You know that thought that causes you to, to think again, to decide differently. You know the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on your life. You've heard him say to you, don't do that, do that. Repair that wrong. That still small voice that nudges you and says, you've spoken a bitter word. You've hurt. You need to go back and make that right. You've heard that voice speak to you saying, you've cheated on those figures. You need to make restitution. You've heard that voice speak to you saying, that's deceit. You've heard that voice saying to you, you need to go back and tell the truth. You've heard that voice. That is a hopeful voice. That is hopeful pain. Those are wounds that heal. Confession is much more than just naming what we've done in the past. It also involves a yearning for holy living and a hatred for unholy living. That's also part of confession. Confession includes kind of a promise, you know, kind of saying, God, with your strength and help, I don't want to go there again. I don't want to do, I determine to avoid that sin. As God is at work in us through the process of confession, confession, we, we feel a deep desire not, not to do those things again, those things that have hurt and estranged. So we make a vow, we say, God, with your help, I'll change Part of that change is is trying to set right what we've done wrong as far as we possibly can with others and with God. That's what happened, simple story, for the tax collector Zacchaeus. You know, when he met Jesus, all of a sudden what he had done wrong seemed to be so big and needed to be changed. And he said, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Yes, this is what happens in confession. I promise, confession moves me to make restitution. It moves me to make resolutions to change. And these are all proof that that really is confession. It's really, it's a real thing. I am really repenting. I'm not just, I'm not just trying damage control. I'm really, I'm really wanting my life to change. Now, there's no guarantee <laughs> because the best of us go back on our promises sometimes over and over and over again. But there's a serious intention to change course, to set things right. And that's proof that God is at work because I'm sincere about it. 
The final step in confession is grace. Grace. <laughs> life-changing, life-transforming grace. I love the way um, Steps to Christ ends. It says this, the humble and broken heart subdued by genuine repentance will appreciate something of the love of God and the cost of Calvary. You see, you see in the end, the most important element in this whole process of confession is the Father's attitude. What does God think? Remember the heart of your Father. He's like the shepherd who'll do anything to find that one sheep that's lost. Confession doesn't make God finally willing to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. He's the one who's making you want to seek forgiveness. He's the one at work in you to bring about this change of life. God is the one who's, who's working in you to bring about this change. We can go through all the right actions and all the procedures and coming back to God, but it's His offer of forgiveness that makes it real. And his hands are, hands are always extended to us, always. As John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, when you mess up, when you ruin the carpet with bleach, don't try to cover it up. Don't try to make excuses. Don't try to justify yourself. Confession begins with sorrow, but it ends with joy. There's celebration and forgiveness because there's a changed life, a new life. You come to God and Jesus Christ, our only advocate, our only Savior, and He's ever reaching out for you in mercy and tender love. So confess. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know all of our hearts. You've spoken to us this morning through your spirit. Maybe brought to mind some area of our life that we need to confess and make right, make restitution. Maybe go to that person we've offended. Maybe make right that, that calculation that's been wrong and we knew it. Or maybe it's just something that you've brought to our mind that's between you and us. But your spirit has put a mark on our hearts. You've made an X on that spot that we need your help and your, your strength and your intercession, your saving grace. We need to repent and confess that sin. Father in heaven, we do now. We thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us, Lord, to be willing to enter into this hard work of confession and be renewed every day as we do so. That's our prayer, and we thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.